This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is CoronaCast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter and host of the Patient Zero podcast, Olivia Willis. And I'm physician and journalist, Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday, the 6th of May, 2021. Welcome, Liv. Thank you. I'm going to be filling in for Tegan over the next couple of days. And, well, it's been a, it's been a big 24 hours in COVID-19 news. Yeah, you just go to sleep and what do you wake up to? A new case in New South Wales, 50-year-old man, um, apparently with no contacts. He hasn't travelled overseas, doesn't work in hotel quarantine. Um, first case of community transmission in New South Wales for some time. It's... Um, you know, it's stunned the state, I suspect. It has, and it's a little puzzling. And um, New South Wales Health is, you know, currently doing genome sequencing. Um, that's underway to try and figure out where this might have come from. Norman, what can that genome sequencing kind of tell us in terms of maybe how long the virus has been in the community? So they've got a database of, of genomic testing and they can go and search what cases turned up, whether or not... I mean, for example, yes, this person could have caught it from... You know, a chain of transmission from hotel quarantine in New South Wales. It could have been somebody off the plane from Western Australia or Queensland. As we know, this virus can circulate underground with in a young population who are asymptomatic and you don't know about them and then suddenly emerge. And so genome testing will give us an idea of where it's come from. It's unlikely that genome testing will be turned out to be a mystery because it's going to have to come from somewhere, a positive case at some time in the last few weeks, and that will have almost certainly been documented in Australia. So it should tie this down. Right. And so yesterday at the press conference, they mentioned that he had a low CT value. What does that mean? Well, the CT value is really a measure of how live and infectious the virus is. And the lower it is, the more infectious it is. So what that indicates is that this is not an old vi- a virus that's inactive in this person. This is an active virus. So paradoxically, a low CT indicates a bigger problem potentially. Now, we know the man visited a number of venues across the city while he was infectious. There was some restaurants listed, a cinema. Those close contacts are being followed up. But the Premier, New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, said that she expected to see some more cases, positive cases in coming days. Norman, are we likely to see quite an uptick just because, you know, things like social distancing, mask use, those things are a little bit more lax at the moment because we haven't had much virus in the community? Yeah, I mean, I'm down in Melbourne at the moment and Melburnians are shocked when they see pictures of Sydney and they're also shocked when they arrive at Sydney Airport to see so few people, even though they're supposed to be wearing masks. I mean, Sydney is behaving as if there's no problem here. And then what you get is, and if you go back to Coronacast of last year and you talk about the theoretical modelling, what we talked about last year was that with so few cases of community transmission in Queensland and and Western Australia, that people were behaving as if the reproductive value was around about 1.3. So in other words, if the virus were to land there, it would spread quite quickly. And that's the situation in New South Wales. People are pretty good at registering with the QR code, but there's not much mask wearing, if any, and uh, people are back to normal. So Norman, how do you reckon this compares to the other outbreaks we've had recently? Is it kind of more or less of a concern or still too early to say? 
Well, it's exactly the same problem that Queensland faced with the medical registrar at PA, where the virus was circulating in the community for quite a few days, where in Western Australia, on two occasions, you've had the virus circulating for a while in the community, and you're really not sure how much it's circulating. Um, so this is exactly the same situation where you really don't know, and, you, and the Premier's right, you probably will see more cases. What the, di- the difference is that New South Wales at the moment is unlikely to go to lockdown because of this. They will wait to see whether there's mystery cases, whether they can tie this down, whether they know where it's come from, and then uh, decide on lockdown. But New South Wales is averse to lockdowns. People are pretty good at, at um, you know, checking with the QR code, but we're really relying on people to be forthcoming about that. You know, does it raise the question of whether we should still be or could have better used a contact tracing app so we would automatically pick up people that might have, say, been near this man? Yeah, the COVID Safe app. Remember the COVID Safe app, Liv? I do. <laughs> Doom and distant past. Um, I mean, a, a bit of a dud, unfortunately, for, and we won't pick over the bones of, of that one. But the, the promise is still there that you could use these apps. So there's been an interesting study from Zurich in Switzerland where they studied what they're calling a digital contact tracing app, which is pretty similar to something like the COVID Safe app, where you can, when you've got a positive case, you can trigger people that they've come near to and find and then trace them. So what they found in this study was a very significant, you know, maybe between 5 and 10% either triggering of other tests or finding of positive tests pushing people into into mandatory quarantine from the use of this digital tra- tracing app. So it doesn't sound like very much, but when your contact tracers are trying to find people who haven't used a QR code, it could add an extra element. But I'm not sure that we've got the right app to do that. So it's a theoretical discussion at the moment in the Australian context, but it's what might have been. Now, yesterday was a big day for another reason, Norman, and that's because you got your first AstraZeneca shot. How did it go? I did. I had it in Melbourne at the convention centre and um, it was very smooth. There were queues there, which was great to see, although people were waiting a little while to get their vaccine. Careful registering of your Medicare number so that you go into the Australian Immunisation Register, um, which means that you get a recall for your second vaccine and and if you get any problems, they can go back to the batch number. And the, and the immunisation itself was no more painful or otherwise than than having your flu shot. Right. And it's not unusual to get, you know, some mild side effects. Have you been feeling okay since? I'm completely tip top at the moment, but thank, you know, just touch wood. You know, who knows what's going to happen soon. So you kind of you kind of want to get a few symptoms just to show that your immune system's tickling up. That's right. Yeah. But we'll see. But at the moment, I'm just being male and brave. Now, we've been talking about how other people are going with the vaccine rollout in states all across the country. And we've had a few people get in touch, particularly from Tasmania, about their experience. So Paul says that he got in line on Monday morning this week. He had to answer a few questions. He was given a choice of different locations and he got his first choice in for this Friday. So he says it went well for him, at least. It was all pretty straightforward. We also heard from someone else who said they hopped on the online booking system for a respiratory clinic um, in the northern suburbs of Hobart and they booked their shot for this Saturday morning. Super easy and very convenient. They need to give lessons to Will Ockenden, our producer, who struggled, who struggled, when it has to be said, you know. But I think he ended up at a respiratory clinic as well. Mm, maybe respiratory clinics are the place to go. Yeah, and Florian, a general practitioner, um, almost drove a car off the road when we were talking about how GP, the chief medical officer was saying that GPs are going to call you 
and uh, just commented on she's got 4,000 patients in the above 70 cohort and they're only getting 100 AZ vaccines a week. So she's implying there's not going to be many phone calls coming from her general practice. Right. You can't make phone calls when you don't have any vaccines to give. Correct. Now, Norman, just before we wrap up, we've got a few questions. Matthew has asked, if a person isn't vaccinated and contracts COVID-19, is the vaccine then administered to aid in recovery or would it be of no assistance? Really good question. And these vaccines are not therapeutic vaccines. Some are, uh, have been in the past, but no. When you get a subsequent vaccine, it's and you do get vaccinated after you've had COVID, um, it's really to boost your immunity. The big question is, do you need two doses of a vaccine or just one? And that's an open question at the moment. The other question is, if you've come in contact with somebody with COVID-19, should you be immunised to give you a chance of resisting infection? And people believe you should be. And in theory, we do have a ring-fencing approach in Australia, but I'm not sure it's ever been used. Linda has gotten in touch and she says, as an over 50er, would it be overkill or even advantageous to get the AstraZeneca vaccine now and then also get the Pfizer vaccine later in the year to protect better against variants? That may well be what happens is that we use the Pfizer later in the year as a booster. Um, It depends on whether or not the Pfizer vaccine does cover against variants. Hopefully we will have a variant specific vaccine by then. You know, that's not a silly question. That could well happen later in the year. And Gilda wants to know, regarding the second jab of the AstraZeneca vaccine, how long are you supposed to wait? She says they say 12 weeks, but in the UK, her daughter and son-in-law were called in after just eight weeks to get their second jab. Look, the evidence wasn't good enough from the clinical trial to know that how much of a difference there was between eight and 12 weeks. But what they did notice was that people who were at 12 weeks did get the maximal response. In reality, there's probably not a lot of difference between eight and 12 weeks, but they're playing safe by going for 12 weeks. And just lastly, Robin has a question, and this is one I've been hearing a lot. Can you advise on the recommended timing between a flu shot and the AstraZeneca shot? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yep. So if you've had the flu shot, wait two weeks. If you've had the first dose of your Astra vaccine, wait two weeks, or make sure you've had the flu vaccine at least two weeks before your second dose. Okay. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Please keep sending us your questions by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click on Ask a Question and mention Coronacast so that we can find it. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. Bye.